I just appreciate the worship team and, and leading us. And I know Tim said this last week, and I think this often when I get up here to speak, that you know, the worship is it's just so wonderful that you almost just want to close in prayer and, and be done for the day. Um, I want to echo, by the way, something Joel said about the Together Initiative. And we have the Friday night to the park. And, and if you haven't experienced that, it's a wonderful opportunity to come together, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, follower of Christ, or exploring who Christ is, come together and at, at Paradise Park for a time of fellowship together. And I really hope that you can make that. Also, our summer program, uh, as you know, Grace Point Church is helping, the Together Initiative is helping fund the summer school program as well as the lunch program, but we need volunteers. Last year, not to put any pressure on you, last year Grace Point handled two weeks of volunteers, and this year it's eight days away and we only have two volunteers for the whole week. So if you were thinking about coming, we need help with lessons. You don't have to be the teacher. You just got to sit with the little kids or help with crafts or help with games. If that's something you would love to do from 1230 to 2, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at all the month of July, um, please uh, go to togetherforgood.com website and sign up or call the factory. And I know that Kate, who was overseeing this, would, would become very best friends with you at this time. <clears throat> you know, I wondered why, uh, you know, why, why Tim went away? You know, why this time? He's in the middle of a, of a good series, and, and why go away? And then I looked at the passage that he had for me this morning. And I thought, sure, give me the easy ones. <clears throat> and uh, if you looked ahead, you know what passage that I'm talking about. But I'm excited uh, for this morning. I'm excited what God has in store. And I'm going to ask us that, especially if you've looked at this passage before, if you've heard messages on that, I'm not going to to uh, let you think that I have something unusual that you've never heard before, but I'd like us to lay aside whatever conceptions or misconceptions we have about this passage and just ask God's Spirit to teach us in a new way something fresh. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning, for the time we can have together. Thank you for the beautiful weather, God, that we can be here worshiping you, and that's what draws us together. ask that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do, and that is to teach us from your word. Give us a, a, a perspective and a, a new perspective at this passage before us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Yesterday, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I went to Costco. Now, I've gone to Costco before, <clears throat> and I love to go there because it's a sociological experience. It's an opportunity to, <clears throat> to, uh, to go there and interact with all kinds of people. People you should be friends with because you're all members of the same club. That's how you get in. You show your little ID card. Oh, they never look at it. One of these days, I'm just going to flip out something else and see if I can get through it because they never really look. And, and uh, so I walked in there yesterday, and of course, half of the battle was just getting in the building. You know, finding a parking place. Just as you're about to pull in, somebody kind of swerves in in front of you, and they look at your vehicle and think, well, mine's older than theirs, or mine's bigger than theirs, so they're not going to go, they're going to back up and let me go in. So I get in Costco, and I walk in, and if you ever watch TV, especially cartoons, where you walk into something, all of a sudden everything freezes and the music gets really loud, but that didn't happen. But that's what I felt like, because I walked in and I realized that yesterday was free sample day. (laughs) And boy, was I excited, because we hadn't eaten lunch yet, and it was 12, 12 12.30, and I was hungry. So I thought this will work out perfect, because we can shop and I can just fill up on all the free samples. I was excited about that, except what I realized quickly is that everybody else had the same idea. 
In fact, some people took it a step further. I think yesterday was national go to Costco and bring your whole family and eat the samples day. No lie. There were people there that it was mom and dad and like 2,000 children. Okay, maybe four. And they hovered around the samples. And as soon as they put them out, you know, I'm ready like you're reaching out. And they're all gone. And then they move on as a tribe to the next station. And the goal is, how can I get what I want and get ahead of them so I can get some samples? This is, this is true. I was reaching into the Italian sausage. Ah, I love Italian sausage. And just as I was walking over there, some man came, and he took the last one. And he looked at me, and my wife said this. She said to me, she said, he looked at you like, ha-ha, I got the last one. And I wanted to beat him up right then and there. <laughs> but I knew I was preaching today. And I wasn't sure how God would honor that whole thing. It was so crowded, and I'm standing with a car just after sampling the spare ribs. They were good. And I could see my wife down the aisle, and she was at the watermelons, and she was saying, come over here and put a watermelon in the cart. But I couldn't get there. It was like New York City in rush hour. And I had to go over three lanes just to get to where she was. And by this point, my enjoyment, my sociological experience had turned into something that I was, I was frustrated. I must admit it. And I was not in my best behavior. We had to quickly leave the sample section, went over to the remote part of Costco to the, you know, the drinks where nobody's ever there. And I'm going to enjoy some solitude for a few moments. Only to have, as we're there, this guy comes and he cuts us off. My wife takes our cart and moves it out of his way and says, I'm sorry. And I wish I could tell you I said, good move, honey. But I said to her, why do we have to move our cart? Why can't he? We have just as much right to go next than he does. And she said to me, because I'm different. I'm nice. I was like, (laughs) well, she didn't mean different from me. You know, we're in this together. She meant different from everybody else at Costco. And and I thought, but as as I'm wheeling the cart up, you know, kind of nice, I thought to myself, you know what, she's right. So I decided that I would go to the checkout with that attitude. And that's a good place to practice that attitude. <clears throat> because there, it's like going through the easy pass at the toll booth. I mean, everybody thinks that if they go first, all of a sudden they're going to experience something different on the other side that nobody else can experience. But I was just kind. You know, people want to squeeze in, go for it. It's okay, you know. And then when we get out to the car, we load our stuff in our vehicle. And I see this lady next to me, and she's loading up this big, all these drinks, really heavy. And I said, man, could I help you? And she says, no, I'm okay. I said, sure, I'd like to help you. And she goes, that is really, really nice of you but I'm okay. And I get in the car, and I had this sense that, huh, see, we are different. We are nice. And then it hit me. I now have the introduction for my message tomorrow morning. (laughs) It was like, wow, I got two things accomplished all in one. Because that's really really what this morning is all about. And that is this, um, how we respond in unfair circumstances reveals who our faith is based in. It's a simple thought, and we'll talk about it again at the end, but I think that's what's going on both in the passage that Tim spoke about, and we'll echo some of the same thoughts that he said, and also in today's passage, and that is this, how we respond when things are unfair truly determines who our faith is based on. We're in this series, as you know, if you've been here um, on Anchor Point, giving us an opportunity to, to anchor our life into something when things are going difficult, whether they're things at work or things at home or with their finances or other relationships or whatever it might be, when things are not as they seem, 
and give us something to anchor on to. And Peter writes at the end of the letter this verse, which we've shared each week, and that is this. I've written to you to encourage you that this is the true grace of God, and we can stand fast in it. One of the things Tim has mentioned every week is that if you don't get anything else out of it, then get this, because this also applies to today, and that is I'm not the center of the universe. God is. It's not about me. It's about God. And then last week, Tim talked about God is always above whoever is above you. Therefore, we can do good. We can honor God because God is ultimately the one that's in charge. And that is where we find ourselves today. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. There are a few Bibles in the racks there. You're welcome to take one of those and use it today and take it home if you don't have a Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3 we're really continuing the same kind of theme that, that started in chapter 2, verse 11. And while you're turning there, I'll read chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 together. I'll read and you can follow along. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of, your, of their wives. When they see their purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers." This passage is probably right up there with one of the most misrepresented, misunderstood passages in all the Bible, both by believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers have used this passage, this one, the one we read, and the one right before that, to say that, that the Bible promotes slavery. And if you, all you can do is Google a little bit. If you wanna, it's an interesting exercise. I think I said this once. If you want to see what people are saying about Christianity and not believe it, it's very intriguing. And they use the Bible to support that. Google it. What do people that don't believe in the Bible say about the Bible? One of those is the Bible promotes slavery, and this is the passage. Telling slaves to go ahead and let their masters beat them. Another uh, misrepresentation is, uh, is that um, the Bible is bigoted against women and doesn't believe that the women should have any rights, because right here it tells Sarah. I mean, it tells uh, women to submit to their husbands and call them master and lord and on and on and on. It's also misrepresented by believers. It teaches that uh, some use this passage to teach that the, what's the place of the woman in the home? And how should the woman dress? And how should they present themselves? And uh, they use this passage in 1 Peter 3 kind of as their, their, uh, their text to explain that the woman's role is to be serving the men, both in the home and in the church. So what we want to do is, in order to see what Peter might be saying here that could encourage us today in the 21st century, we have to understand what is truly going on in this passage. So we have to look at it and ask ourselves some questions. One of them is, what is it not saying? 
This passage is not saying, in the passage before, where they're all tied, they're all connected together, it's not saying that slavery is okay. It's not saying that you should go find a master, become a slave, and if they beat you, then it's, it's okay. Go ahead and let them beat you, because that's, that's good to do. Nor is it saying that wives should submit to your husbands. Now, stay with me, okay, because some of you have already written me off, you know. Just, just stay with me. And, uh, but it's not saying that wives submit to your husbands. And by the way, it's the greatest evangelical, evangelistic tool that a woman can have to an unbelieving husband. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say to women who are married to unbelieving husbands, don't say a word. Just live the right life and don't come to know Christ. It's in the Bible. Nor is it saying that makeup or jewelry or braided hair or nice clothes are wrong and that women shouldn't have any of those. I find it interesting that sometimes we do this, and again, I, you know, this is, I was joking about this being the easy passage. You know, this is tough. Sometimes we do this. We like one portion of a text, but we don't like others. So I've heard people say, you know, that women should be submissive to their husbands because it's in 1 Peter 3. But they allow their wives to wear jewelry and braided, braid their hair and to put on makeup and to wear nice clothes. And I think, well, you can't have one without the other because they all go together. But I don't think that is not what this passage is saying. It's not saying that women are to call their husbands master or lord. I tried that. It doesn't work. Just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> so what is it saying? I think in order for us to understand what it's saying, we have to know three things. The first one I'm just going to read to you. We have to understand what the role of women was in New Testament times. Let me read to you both in, in Jewish culture and in Greek culture and in Roman culture, the view of women at the time that this letter was written. In the Jewish culture, a woman was treated not as a person but as a thing and was owned by her husband in exactly the same way he owned his sheep and his goats. She was absolutely her husband's possession to do with as he willed. On no account could the wife leave the husband, although he could dismiss her at any moment. The Jews had a low view of women as evidenced by their morning prayer in which the Jewish man gave thanks to God that he had not made him, quote, a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The Jewish woman had no legal rights whatsoever. In Greek culture, the duty of the woman was, quote, to remain indoors and to be obedient to her husband. It was a sign of a good woman that she must see as little, hear as little, and ask as little as possible. She had no kind of independent existence and no kind of mind of her own. And her husband could divorce her almost at will so long as he returned her dowry. Jewish culture, Greek culture, and the Roman culture. In Roman culture, the law provided no rights for a woman. In law, she remained forever a child. When she was under her father, she was under the Roman law of her father's power, which gave the father the right even of life and death over her. And when she married, she passed equally into the power of her husband. She was entirely subject to her husband and completely at his mercy. Now, that's what the view of women was in the New Testament times. Contrast that to the gospel. In Galatians, where Paul says that we're all equal. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Imagine the, if I can use this word, the juxtaposition of thought for believing women in that day. They went from having no kind of merit, no kind of value, no kind of dignity and honor, to becoming believers. And in Christianity, 
where, where the, the apostles were teaching that you are equal. You are equal to your husbands. You're equal to men. You do have dignity. You do have honor. You do have worth. And so we have to understand, first of all, what is going on with the role of, of women in New Testament times. <clears throat> Second of all, we have to understand what this word submit means. It's the same word, by the way, as in Ephesians 5.22, where it says submit to one another. It's also used 36 other times in the New Testament. <clears throat> it's from the Greek word. We get a little Greek here. It's from the Greek word hupotasso, which is, is a, it's used in two ways. One is a military term, and that meant to line up by rank. That's what it meant. In a non-military way, it meant a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, or carrying a burden. And they needed to know that the way the Greek language was written, that this was written in the present middle reflective voice. Sounds exciting. The present middle reflective voice. That's important. Because here's what that means for this word. It means that in the present tense, there's a continual action called for. Something that should be happening all the time. The middle voice, the reflexive middle voice, meant that the subject was to initiate the submitting and then participate in the action of putting oneself in subjection or under authority of another person. In this context, uh, it stresses the, the voluntary or willing nature of submission. So in other words, it could be written this way, submit yourselves by placing yourselves under the authority of another person. That's what it means in Ephesians 5.1 when Paul says to submit yourselves one to another. Voluntarily place yourself under the authority of one another, under the leadership, under the direction of one another. Same word that we have here in 1 Peter 3 where it says, Wives, voluntarily submit yourself, put yourself under the authority, <clears throat> the leadership, and the direction of your husbands. So it is with this meaning of the Greek word that we must read 1 Peter 3. It's not declaring the role of women. It's not a prescription for how women should be forced to submit to their husbands. He's asking the wives to voluntarily place themselves on the authority of their husbands. So the question we should be asking is, why in the world would Peter, knowing the culture of how they viewed women, why would he ask them, to voluntarily submit themselves to that kind of leadership? That's the question. And I think the answer is found as we continue going on. Verse 12, if you remember chapter 2, he says that we are, we are verse 11 and 12, we're strangers and we're aliens in this world. Because we're strangers and aliens, we do things differently. As Claudia said, because I'm different, I'm nice. Because we're different, we approach authority differently. In the same way, it says in verse 3. That's the third thing we have to understand. The first is, what is the understanding of who women are in New Testament? What is the understanding of this word submit? And then what does he mean when he says, in the same way? In the same way, we submit to every authority, even if it's evil, chapter 2 tells us. In the same way, slaves submit to their masters even if they're being beaten for no reason. In the same way, in verse 23, that Jesus Christ endured the cross. Tim pointed this out as a very important verse last week. Verse 23 says, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In the same way, 
Down in verse 7, it says it again. Husbands, in the same way. To be considerate as you live with your wives. Here's the point. We are not from around here. We're different. We're to act as strangers and aliens. Be intentional how we live. It says in each one of these sections, because others are watching. Even if we are treated unfairly. So here's the thought. How we respond in unfair circumstances reveals who our faith is based in. Peter is challenging all people in response to authority. He's challenging slaves in response to masters. He's challenging women in response to men, their husbands. And he's challenging husbands in response to their wives. And in the middle of all that, he says, in the same way as Jesus Christ submitted himself and endured what he did. And the reason he did that is because he was entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Understanding this gives us, by the way, meaning we don't have time to get into it, but for the rest of the passage, what it means. It wasn't a litmus test for godly women. It wasn't a checklist. If you're going to be godly, then don't do this to your hair. Don't put this on. Don't wear this. Don't do that. That's not what this passage is talking about. What had happened is, you know, these women with their newfound freedom, and who can blame them, went from not being able to wear anything. Some of them couldn't even wear any kind of clothing that would show anything but their eyes to being able to have the freedom where they could dress differently. They could wear different things. And it's some argue that some of these women were trying to, you know, get their non-Christian husbands to notice them and to respect them and to say, wow, she's looking pretty nice today, and to give them more honor. Some say that. I don't know. It sounds right to me. But what we can assume is that uh, in their new freedom in Christ, that they were living in a way that a non-believing husband would have a real problem with. In fact, it was against the law to worship any gods other than the gods of your husband. So you have these men, in this context, the men were, were unbelieving men, and their wives are believers worshiping a different God. And Tim mentioned this, I think it was last week, the week before, some of the weird views that people were having about uh, Christianity when it first got started. And Nero perpetuated that. And there were beliefs that Christians were cannibals, that they would drink each other's blood and eat each other's flesh and do all kinds of weird things. Can you imagine if you're a man and what your view of women is? And all of a sudden she comes out of the room and she's dressed really nice and she's heading to go worship her God. Now, you just think what he could do to her by the law. He could kill her. He could beat her. He could force her to stay home. He could do whatever he wanted to do to her. And for some of these women, that caused great fear. Because what if he does this to me? And then we go to church and be taught, he's not allowed to do this to me. Because uh, there's no the difference between male or female. And so <clears throat> what Peter is doing is addressing them, saying, listen, if you want to weigh your husbands, living in your freedom, doing what you want is not the way to do it. But the way to do it is by the life that you live. The way that you present yourself is what's going to honor God. It's the same thing in all the other passages. Submit to authority so though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they will see that you're not and glorify God. Slaves, obey your masters, even though it doesn't go well, because that's going to glorify God. Jesus went to the cross and endured mistreatment because that would be a way to honor and glorify God. 
Wives and husbands in the same way. Be careful how you're responding in the midst of your persecution of your unfair treatment because how you respond is going to show who your faith is in. And when you're strangers and aliens, you don't respond the way people respond. You respond differently. And so he goes through that. And I don't have time. There's a lot of stuff in here to unpack this. And some of you probably want me to. You want me to talk about, you know, why, why is he calling her the weaker partner? And, you know, why is uh, Sarah calling him Lord and Master? And just quickly, what, what I want to get at is, is when we come to the Scriptures with a filter, then that's how we will interpret the passage. But when we come to the Scriptures, okay, what is going on? What's the historical context? What's the meaning of that language at that time? It gives us a better understanding. You see, because if you take a look at Sarah, who, when she called him her Lord, and by the way, Lord could mean master, it could mean Lord, it could mean sir, the Philippian jailer. Remember when the earthquake happened and the, and the, the, it was, the jail was opened up? He looks to Paul and, and Silas, I think, and he says, Lord, same Greek word, what must I do to inherit you know, salvation? It, it's been translated, sir, Lord, master. It's a term of respect given to somebody that's in authority. And so this passage here is just simply saying when Sarah was scared of her future, she trusted in the authority that God had placed in her life. And that day, the authority, the structure was masters, slaves, men, and women. Women didn't have any kind of authority. And even though as believers they now did, he's saying, be careful that you don't use your freedom as a way of causing your husbands to treat you even worse off than before. But remember that it's about God. It's not about you. And to live your life in a way that honors God. So he says to husbands, listen, you're going to have to treat your wives differently now. You're going to have to be way more considerate. In fact, he refers to them as co-heirs. They are just as equal in God's eyes, not only in this earth, but also in the one to come. So you need to treat them with dignity and honor. It has the idea, by the way, of constantly giving honor to the wives and challenging them to do that. For the men, he says, because then your prayers can be heard. So what do we do with this passage here? It looks like it's out of place because he's talking about everything else we can relate to because we don't have slavery today, at least in our country. So we can relate to that. We're like, yeah, you know. And then we get to this and we're like, oh, whoa. It kind of throws a curveball. And it looks like at first that it's out of place. That all of a sudden he's now given a challenge to wives and husbands on how they need to interact with each other. But I don't think it's supposed to be seen that way. I think it's all together. How we live or how we, how we respond in unfair, unfair circumstances determines who our faith is based on. And this whole passage, last week and this week, is all wrapped up in the model that Jesus gave, who endured the cross because he wasn't looking for man to be fair. He was trusting in God's ability to be just. In the same way, submit to every authority. In the same way, slaves, endure the hardship. You want to talk about pain, Jesus experienced that. In the same way, wives, voluntarily submit yourselves to your husbands. And that's what will win them over, not any, anything else. In the same way, husbands, you're going to have to change. Be considerate. Treat your wives differently than every other man's treating their wife. Why? Because we're different. 
because we're strangers and aliens in this earth. Reminds me of that old song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Colossians talks about fixing our eyes not on what is seen, what is unseen. We beat to a different drum, we walk to a different pace, we ride our bike in a different gear, whatever analogy that works for you, that's how we do it. And right in the middle of all this is this passage to, to address some very real issues that were going on in the early church. So what does that mean for us today? It's not so much, two things I want to share with you. One is it's not so much about what we say, but more about how we live. You see, when I'm treated unfairly, I want to give people a piece of my mind, right? You do that up to a certain age and you realize there's no mind left to give, so then you just kind of don't say anything. When I'm cut off in traffic or at Costco, it had the same effect on me, by the way, I want to say, excuse me, I don't know who you think you are, but I was here first. Now, that's what I want. I didn't say I would. I said, that's what I want to do. Don't beat me up here. Because I want to attack with my words when I'm treated unfairly. Maybe it's just my Facebook friends, but if you don't think that's true, read Facebook for a while. Maybe it's just the people that I have on there that are constantly using words to attack. And it's, it's built in us to want to defend our cause, to want to defend our case, our rights, our freedom. You don't understand, I'm allowed to do this. You don't understand, this is who I am. And this is where I was. You were in back of the line, not me. And yet I think what Peter's trying to say here is not so much about what we say, but about how we live. How are your, how are my actions when dealing with abusive authority? Peter's calling us to respond in a way that points people to Jesus. By the way, I don't want to make another proclamation. I don't want you to leave here saying what Chuck is saying, then you never stand up. Chuck is not saying that if you're a, a, a woman and your husband's beating you, that you should never speak up because it's how you act that's more important than what you say. No, you can speak up. We are living in a totally different times in the early church. The understanding of men and women, masters and slaves, authority and all that, it's, it's totally different today than it was back then. This is not a prescription for how to handle that. It's, it's, it's more of a, hey, in the midst of this, here's some way in which you can honor God. So there is time. There is a place. Back then you couldn't. You didn't have the rights. There is a place for a woman to stand up when she's being beaten by a man or mistreated. There is a place for an employee if the employer is lording over them and not being right, not being fair, and, and, and that is, you know, is being less than what they should be to speak up. We have context for that. We have systems in place for that to happen. So while we have that, I still think this, this so what is there for us to learn from. It's not so much about what we say, but how we live. So think about the last time you were treated unfairly. The last time somebody attacked you or criticized you or, or persecuted you. Maybe not for your faith, but for some other thing. Was your knee-gut reaction to uh, just attack with your mouth? Or was there a place for you and for me to say, God, people are watching me. I'm different. I'm going to respond in a way that honors you. I'm going to place my trust in you and your ability to make all the wrongs right than I am in this situation. I feel like sharing this with you is sort of like what I did yesterday. You see, I went to Costco, and I didn't tell you why I went there. I went there to get some ribs, because for the first time, I wanted to cook ribs on the grill. 
and I read all kinds of things about how to cook ribs on the grill. And the general feeling is the longer you cook them, the better they are. So I cooked them for three hours, and they were good. On the end, they were good, and as I got towards the middle of a rack about this big, which I shouldn't even be in the middle, but as I got to the middle, they didn't taste as good. And I thought to myself, they were great. Next time, I'm going to cook them five hours instead of three. Because the longer you let them cook, the better they're going to taste. And so I feel like I'm, I've just cooked this for a few hours. And in my own life, I have to marinate on this thought. I have to cook this thought in my mind over and over and over again. Because the longer I do, the more this is going to mean to me. That it's not so much on what I say, but it's how I respond that's important. And then a the second, so what is this? It's not about our position in man's eyes, but about our posture in God's eyes. The women had to realize in this passage that it's not just about your freedom in Christ. It's also about your submission to Christ. Certainly, God and Jesus were equal, right? But yet, Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And the challenge here for the women and for the men was to not hold on to your position at the, at, the, at, the, at the sake, at the cost, what's the word? At the expense, there you go, we'll use that one. Not to hold on your position at the expense of losing your posture for God. So here's a question that I'll throw out at me and at you. How are you doing in submitting? Wives, how are you submitting towards your husbands? Men, husbands, I should say, how are you submitting? In the workplace, how well do you submit? At Costco, how well do you submit? Or do we walk around and hold on to our position? Say, not me, because I'm the husband. Not me, because I'm free in Christ, and I'm the wife, and I'm equal. Not me, because that boss isn't going to tell me what to do. Not me, because that person's not going to cut me off. Because I was here first. That's my position. We do it all the time. And the challenge in this passage and others is we're different. And therefore, we have to respond differently. The second so what is it's not so much about our position, but it's the posture that we have before God. I want to encourage me, because I need to be encouraged with this passage, and I want to encourage you that the assumption is that because we're aliens and strangers, we are going to be treated differently. There will be times when things will be unfair. And there will be times that we'll want to throw the card. Hey, I, but I can, I can play this card. And perhaps, perhaps, what we should do first is say, okay, maybe I don't play the card. Maybe I respond in a way that honors God. And I'd be quiet. Maybe I don't say, well, you don't understand who you're talking to. But maybe I just posture myself before God. This whole section is wrapped up in the example of Jesus, where he trusted in something greater than his circumstance. That's why Peter says in the book, hey, I, I got some news. I want to encourage you guys. I know that your life is all but encouraging. Right? I mean, anything but encouraging. I know that you're going through incredible, difficult times. And I know that you feel like, why believe and you're feeling the alien and the stranger part, but be encouraged. 
This is the true grace of God. We can stand in it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the life of the early church. And there's so much we don't understand, God, because we're not there. We're so far removed from it. But from this book, God, we realize that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of, of trials, we, we do have an anchor point. We do have a place that we can lasso our life around and hold on for dear life, and that is found in you. That we can trust, God, that you're capable of handling our situations. And I pray that this week, whatever it might be, that as we respond, whether it's with a grocery cart or whether it's with our lives, how we respond will determine who our faith is in. God, I pray that we would live such good lives among those that we interact with, that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That we would have that kind of desire to follow after you and trust that you can be the defender of our cause. In Jesus' name, amen.